You are welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, a podcast about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Selek Gott. On this episode, my guest is Kenneth Gyan. He's an award-winning writer and director, known for Confucian Nawa, The Lost Cafe, and Loteria, among others. Amongst his awards is the 2012 AMA for Best Nigerian Film for his debut feature, Confucian Nawa. We talk about his formative years in Jaws, being a student of cinema, and his latest projects. If you're a new listener, you're welcome, and I hope you enjoy. Um, you're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker, Kenneth. Thank you. Can you introduce yourself? Um, so, um, I mean, I started making films after coming out of film school because I went to the National Film Institute in Jaws. And, and so studying film and falling in love with the magic of it, um, I felt that I could be able to entertain people with the sort of stories that are in my head. So immediately after school, I went to work with the BBC and I worked on a show called Waiting Day, which was probably one of the biggest shows in Africa at, the mo- at that time. And from from waiting day, um, I went on to to the Berlinale Talent Campus with a short film of mine, and I met a friend. So we formed a production company together called Cinema Pata Pata. And so we applied for funding for our first film called Confusion Nawa from Netherlands. And because it was pretty hard to get the kind of um, to, to get people to sponsor the kind of film that we wanted to make at the time. Yeah. So we got from Netherlands and we made this film, and so it eventually won. Um, the best film at the Africa Movie Academy Awards, which was uh, the, one of the biggest awards in Africa at the time. Yeah. I mean, right now you have a but yeah. So it won AMA, it won um, it won New York African Film Festival, it won Judy Price at the Pan African Film Festival in LA. And and from there I made um, the, the Lost Cafe, which won the the best feature narrative at the Mexico International Film Festival and also audience awards at Afrif and and Olotere, which probably was one of the films that opened Nigeria to the world when it came out in 2020 on Netflix because yeah. um, it was a Nigerian film to be in the top 10 on Netflix and and so uh, yeah it was really it, it actually uh, brought up a lot of conversation about um, sex trafficking and all of that so in a nutshell yes that is me oh, okay um, yeah very um, eventful career so far yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, you talked about um, like what you have done since you went to film school and um, after film school. So, can you tell us like what got you to make this decision to go into film? What were those um, years before film school like? I mean, I w- I've always been like pretty good at reading. Like, I love to read, and so growing up in Jaws, I actually thought that Jaws was. Uh, that like the whole of Nigeria was like just you know the weather, the mountains, the the easygoing people, the flowers they see around, yeah. and basically like I was reading the works of people like um, oh, who's the writer from Kenya, Ngugi Wationgo actually. Uh. So I was reading like when you read um, books like The River Between, right? You could actually visualize it. And you visualize it, and if you are from Jaws, like when he's talking about all these valleys, and of course, like white people and the colonials, it was something that was really around us at, at the time. Mm. And so, but for me as a kid, we we used to actually have this show called we call it show basically. It's our own cinema show 
where you put the lantern behind a, a behind a white curtain and you cut out characters with cotton and you actually entertain people because the shadows fall on the front in front of the screen and so children sit in front and and you're basically entertaining them yeah. and it was always about who had the best characters and who can actually tell the best stories that will attract the audience so i started so that was actually like my first thing about falling in love with um with with with, with, with filmmaking but then i didn't actually know that until one day when i was growing up i just said okay maybe i need to just go and study um uh film because i was reading all these uh booklets that were that that were they were flying around in school and so um i was in love with going to study film abroad but it was too expensive so one day i saw that there's actually a film school in jails and i went there and that for me that was it um i i went there and i thought i was going to just be a writer but then I realized that someone uh, made my film and I didn't like the way he interpreted it. So that's how I then turned to directing as well. That I said, okay, I can just write myself and just direct it as well. Because I just didn't like the interpretation. So that for me is a whole background for me. Like, because um, just is very, it's very small and it, but it had a lot of intellectuals and there are lots of like, I mean, um, uh, white people because of the tin mining that brought them to just at the time. So yeah. yeah. It was that sort of environment that encouraged me to explore my creativity. Nice. Um, so, you know, like, there's this thing that people say about just that it kind of fosters creativity. Um, what do you think it is? Well, so, like, looking at it now, right, like, I mean, I've, I just got back from, I mean, I was in Lagos for almost like eight months and I decided to move to Lagos, but I just came to just on holiday and to, to, to look around locations for my movie. And I just realized what it was. What it was um, that uh, pushed all of us into that whole creative thing is that the serenity of the of the city. You know, like you have a lot of nature around you, like the, the trees, the mountains. And then of course, like you had this whole uh, white people that were here. I mean, mostly British and of course, like some Americans who were here because of mining. But then what happened was that when they travel, right, they yeah. used to come back with a lot of magazines and they used to come back with a lot of like I mean, music for our radio stations. Mm. So our radio station was probably almost like I mean, the best in the country because like we had access to a lot of materials because I remember then like it was very hard to just get magazines like that. And so even when um, Cool FM came to Nigeria, I think like one of the first people that they got was a DJ from just, um, I think that was like Yakubu Lamai. So that whole thing where everybody's actually aware and, and you know, we had this whole influx of like people coming in with some form of like, I mean, culture yeah. opens, uh, I mean, us to, to culture. And because it's a very small town, there's actually interaction. Like Lagos is very big. So even if you have foreigners, but nobody cares, like, I mean, because people are just like trying to mind their business. Uh. But here is a little interaction that you actually get around. So it really opened up our heads and we're in a space where everything is just so calm and you actually allowed to think yeah. and not just be on, on 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 the run to go and look for money which i mean it's what you get with capitalism and you can't really be very um creative if you are just like just thinking about the economics of it yeah so um you know you you made um, omule mommy lagos finding aisha blood and henna um I mean, you did all this before you did um, Confession Now. What, like, from your first experience of um, 
making a film, directing a film, what were some of the important lessons you started learning quite early on? You know, I think like for me, um, it was always about telling your own story and what you actually believe in, right? Yeah. And so I made those films. I remember how I made um, Omle and Mommy Legos. It was because, so I didn't have money to, to have the right set of camera. And so my friend who was my producer, right, and on the Lost Cafe later on in, in, in life, uh, but then we're in film school. And so she wanted me to direct Omle documentary for her. So we went to Calabar and and we we shot it but when coming back i had the idea to enter berlin for, uh, talent campus with my film with, yeah. with the film so i had an idea that was mommy Legos. but the thing that i actually learned is that like um, you need to know almost everything in film because at the time there was no money so i had to just manage to get uh, my friend to just film uh, mommy Legos for me but then i had to edit it like you have to think about writing it, then you have to edit it, so you're producing it and all of that. So I learned paperwork really, really early yeah. in terms of like, um, because that's actually what film is about. What, when I look back and I look at like what is happening right now in the industry, why why the industry didn't really move forward, I mean, over the years was because a lot of people didn't want to do a lot of the paperwork. And yeah. so and if you can't do paperwork, you cannot be able to apply for funding. And that was what I actually learned, like, I mean, at the time, that um you need to know everything and you can't be lazy and you need to take every sort of opportunity that just comes your way so and which i've actually applied um in later in life because with after confession now you know with confession now i had to get the actors that i know to work in the film for free because i didn't have money to pay them yeah. and then for the lost cafe i had to get in touch with angino to to give us lenses because i didn't have the sort of money to to get the sort of lens that they have, but uh, so we we did some sort of partnership. So it is that thing that you always have to just capitalize on a on a given um, opportunity and not be lazy and try to do paperwork. That that I really um, learned like very early on in life. Yeah. Okay. So um, you you got selected for um Berlin Talent Campus. How was that? No. Um, with the Berlin, when, when I made Mommy Legos, it was for a competition at, at the Berlin Film Festival. Yeah. And it's called, I mean, it's under a category called Films Based on Taste, uh, Films on Taste, uh, Films on Hunger, Food Taste, or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, so I submitted the the film, but I was very pretty confident that I was actually going to get it. And so I, it was an official selection at the Berlin Talent Campus, which is like maybe 10 films from like, maybe almost like 600 700 applications at the time yeah and it was very exciting for me because i had never left just at the time right and um, mm -hmm. i've always been just home so um and i traveled to to germany and i met a lot of people and i understood that my philosophy about film wasn't really misplaced that i was on the right track and that was actually what i learned and it was in in berlin that i got the the job with the BBC because someone saw my short film and he just asked me, do you want to work with the BBC? And I said, yes. And he just hooked me up with Smoking Dogs film. So yeah, um, for me, it was really exciting, but it was like a way, uh, it, it was a huge thing for my career and the career of other young people because what that did was that when I had conversations with the BBC, I then told them about other young people being just, and that is actually how almost everyone that works on waiting day 
yeah. um, got into there because I, I told the BBC about it. So the careers of like, I mean, uh, you know, uh, people like Yinka, Ifanyi, almost everybody like, yeah, started from, from waiting there. Yeah, before we get to your work um, at the BBC, um, what kind of director would you say you are? What do you always like try to include in all, all the films that you make? That is like left for people who watch the film to actually analyze it. So I think like, I mean, it's actually up to you, uh, people who actually make all these programs and, and write and watch movies and do analysis to actually talk about what sort of like director I am. But like, um, I think it's like pretty, uh, it's going to be like pretty, pretty shallow for me to say, okay, yes, like, I mean, this is the sort of director that I am. It's left for people to just analyze my work and talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about Confucian Nawa. Um, I think one thing, you're one of the writers and one thing this film was able to succeed at was, you know, like um, within these like interconnected stories with a lot of, with a lot of characters and I mean, it felt like you kind of got a, a good sense of who like these multiple characters were. Like, how was the script development um, phase of that project? Well, I mean, um, for Confusion Hour, before, before making Confusion Hour, I was a huge fan of Alejandro Gonzalez's scenario and what he did with Amores Peros, right? Yeah. And, um, of course, there was, like, Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and all of that. And I'm a real student of cinema. Like, I really study films and I study characters and all of that. And and when we wanted to, to tell a story, uh, because of where I grew up in, and that was, uh, I mean, that's Joss, right? Yeah. You, you, Joss is a very multicultural city. So you have people from the east, the west, the north, like central Nigeria, everybody's here in, in, in Joss. And so... Um, the whole idea is to make a, is to make a film that is set within that multicultural city and how every character, every character's uh, motivation or action will actually affect the other character. And so that was what we designed. And when we wrote the the scripts, it is very different from the way it came out in the film as well because what we did was that we wrote it in chapters so you could actually see an element of this person's story in this person's chapter like yeah. it was like that and but when we made the film for me i had to just tone it down a bit because a i wanted to make a film like i got inspired by an egyptian film called the yakubian building which uh, the guy too was part of the Berlinale Talent Campus and was hugely successful and i remember i read about it and it says that it was the most successful film in egypt um, at the time and so for me I just felt okay so if I'm making I have to make it for the local audience right like my people need to actually understand the film a bit yeah. so I had to just like um, think the edit a bit and it took us almost like three years to cut the film because uh, my partner is in the UK the editor is in the UK or sometimes in Ireland so sometimes I travel with the whole hard drive and the computer to go and edit there and then Tom would like, I mean, come down here. So for me, but like everything that was fleshed out that you actually see in the film, like, I mean, it was something that we can, it's very, we, it's very, I mean, their characters are very relatable in terms of like growing up, I mean, in a very multicultural city. So the easiest thing that I will tell you about the writing and character development is that like, 
you don't need to always think far when you are developing characters because people always just want to say, okay, I want to get into this room and think about this particular character. There are lots of people around you. You could actually just like fight in your character after one of them. So that was the process for, for writing the characters of um, uh, Confucian Hour. So yeah, let's go to your work at BBC. So you went to Berlin, you met somebody and and then, you know, the BBC job happened. Um, you know, you guys you you know formed the court team for waiting day how um career defining was this experience for you well as i said right when i got to to the interview with smoking dogs film and then of course like later on we're having conversation with um, one of the producers there yeah that was what uh inspired them to come to just and to come and look at filmmakers and we sent more cvs of like i mean other young filmmakers and when you look at career defining today almost that whole uh the cult of young people that were on waiting day right now are some of the best filmmakers that you have in nigeria yeah. right in terms of production design photography sound and all of that right yeah and for me on a personal level it is understanding storytelling because you can never beat the BBC in terms of storytelling. We had storyliners come in and the producers knew what they were doing in terms of storytelling. And and that is one key factor that I'm really using now in my career because uh, a lot of people really don't understand how to tell on screen and on screen stories. Yeah. And so they totally depend a lot more on on just mere dialogue to pass across information instead of like I mean, thinking about other visual things that they can actually add. So, uh, and and BBC is a really huge brand name. So when you tell people that you've worked with the BBC, of course, like they have to just look at you twice because uh, it's a fantastic CV. So yes, in terms of um, development mentally to, to make stories, yes. Uh, and of course, like, I mean, in terms of CV, Yes, it was huge in my in my development as a filmmaker. Okay, um, you you mentioned that you're a student of cinema. So, um, are there like some filmmakers that you always um kind of take inspiration from? I take a lot of I take a lot of inspiration from from filmmakers like Alejandro Gonzalez Sinarito, who came in from a very from a minority background and to make it big in Hollywood. And even before Hollywood, I was following his career with Morris Perez and what he was able to do with that. I absolutely love um, Alfonso Cuarón as well. And and I think like Children of Men is one of my really big favorite films. And you look at David Lean and what he did with Lawrence of Arabia and and Quentin Tarantino. And and for me, it's like as an indie filmmaker, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, practicing in a country like Nigeria where uh, there was this whole notion that, oh, um, this this is a cabal of marketers who will only just let you come into their circle when you do certain things or like, I mean, if you just like kiss the ring or whatever it is that they say, and so it inspired me to be a rebel, to believe in, to stand alone and keep working on projects that I believe in and just like developing my own projects. And so like right now, um, I think it's actually really paying off because I've seen like how big Alfonso Cuaron, I mean, how they started 
and with Robert Rodriguez and how they started and where they are right now. Yeah. And for me, it's almost like the same thing because like when we used to talk about making universal stories and and I mean films that can actually really travel out of Nigeria, everybody kept saying that okay, no home video, you have to just tell stories that uh, for Nigerians and all of that. But right now, with the coming of Amazon and Netflix and all of that, like we're really up against other global um, filmmakers. I mean, uh, the, we're really against, I mean, other filmmakers from, 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 from other parts of the world. So that is, for me, the inspiration that has really worked in terms of like looking at the careers of these people and how they stood their ground in, in, in articulating their thoughts into projects that they, that they believe in. And, and 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 for me and how it really paid off for them in hollywood and it's the same thing for me right now so yes and even in terms of like i've been mean, telling very different stories because uh, most of them started almost like um thought cinema right i yeah. mean it's not like they, because they didn't have to make all these glamorous hollywood big commercial films that they that they always make mm. so in whatever you can to make a film and, and and just getting your story out there so yes that for me it's like those are the filmmakers that really inspire me out there in hollywood so apart from i'm um, studying at the nfi you also studied screenwriting in wagadugu yeah. yeah going to wagadugu for me was from film school and i was nominated because um, i was one of the best students in, in in the school so they were nominating the best students to actually go to to wagadugu for a workshop with gaston kabori and you know when i was in film school i used to read a lot of uh, books about african cinema yeah. and what was what was really uh, disheartening for me was that like there were no nigerian filmmakers in those books like when they talk about filmmakers they talk about uh, gaston kabori they talk about suleiman sise you know uh, usman seben and all of that right and yeah. there were no Nigerian filmmakers. So it was huge for me to go to Wagadugu because the school is even owned by one of the filmmakers that I really liked. That was Gaston Kabore. But at the time, there was no internet. So you can't be able to even see any clip or trailer of some of those films, except like maybe when the NFC is showing us sometimes. So I went there and meeting Gaston Kabore and listening to him. And of course, I, he brought in a lot of other storylines. I mean, uh, script teachers from from Canada and Ireland and that was when I really understood how to write a script right and how to actually tell a story and we had a lot of access to his library where there were a lot of films by those real African filmmakers that we had never had access to yeah. and I watched all of them it was part of my huge development too in terms of like I mean in African cinema and really understanding it because it, it just like uh, got me a notch ahead of like I mean other people who had no access to watching some of those films and hearing them talk and, and yeah so that was um, what it was with with um, Wagadugu so even though that I was there for four weeks I think that four weeks or six weeks I can't remember yeah but it had a huge impact on me in terms of screenwriting that I have to always talk about it when I when I when, when I talk about where I studied because apart from the NFI, like, because if I didn't go to Wagadugu, I'm not sure I will have been able to understand screenwriting the way it was. Because we did a lot of analysis of movies and looking at scripts as well. So it was very different because it was the first time that we had, in, we had like an audiovisual aid to, to really teach us. Because in Nigeria, it was always just about the lecturer telling you what to do. Hmm. And without really showing anything, any reference material. Okay. So I'm, I'm guess like from what you said, um, 
also like analyzing script is a good way to understand story and to you know push the boundaries of your own like your own writing yeah i mean analyzing um scripts yes but then i think like majorly analyzing films like um again one of the stuff that i did at the nfi was that internet was pretty expensive i think it was 25 naira a minute um at its time yeah but I used to go to the cyber cafe to to go to sites like um, joblow.com. And joblow.com was the guy that I had access to who was um, always uh, writing critics of films. So I could actually just read his critique of film and then watch the film and try to understand what where he's coming from and where the filmmaker got it wrong. I did all of that because you really need to study. But And then when you watch the films as well, you need to understand, okay, what is character development? Like, I mean, how does the plot go? Like, um, what other elements the director actually use? All of that make you understand, like, what sort of elements to add to your, to your writing. And so, again, I read a lot of scripts as well, like most of the scripts. Because I remember even the script of this film, um, I Am Legend, but yeah. that later on um, was and with Will Smith. I had read the script at the time, like at the time. So I read a lot of all of the scripts online and and so it it really add to it. Like you can't actually be lazy as a filmmaker is what I'm trying to say. Like you need to always constantly watch films and try to analyze them and read uh, criticisms and, 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 and critical um, essays on the films by other people yeah okay so just just to break break things up a bit um i'll ask you um what are like three random facts about you that most people don't know so most people don't know that i was a pretty good footballer and i was i was a top striker right yeah. for my local team i scored a lot of goals most people don't know that yeah. and of course like i can run very fast yeah um what is it again uh, and that I'm pretty good at uh, video games as well. So away from all the whole intellectual conversation, uh, I'm actually like a miniature like that. I guess so. It's always um, you know, good apart from working to you know take a break. Then you always um have time to get new perspectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. When I actually work, uh, when I work pretty hard, um, even when I come back from sets, sometimes I just play video games. Like because, and I play video game online because like when you meet somebody who is better than you, yeah, like it really expands your your brain, like and it makes you to like forget about all the problems, like the whole tiredness just goes out of your body. Like that's how it works for me. Yeah. And so, or if I don't feel like sleeping and I play, yeah, I can actually just get like exhausted mentally. So it's always just like my form of escapism. Um, but there are a lot of other there are lots of other um, things that I do as well. But it's just centered around games that you can't just do. Okay. Okay. So have you had like any experience on set that kind of made you reassess like how you work? Has there been any moment like that? I mean, unfortunately, no. Like I've never had that because. Um, I think like from when I started working uh, from 2006 to the BBC, I was, was like almost like a child, you know? Yeah. And so I had to prove myself, like I had to do a lot of work. And for me, I think like I wasn't even trying to prove myself. It was just coming naturally. Like you do your homework oh. and when you get on set, um, the crew and the actors 
feel that you know what you're doing and you actually do know what you're doing um, and you're never going to have any problems. So, and and I've always learned to, um, to, to be ready to prepare before getting on set. Yeah. So... I don't really have anything that I will say that, okay, it was so bad that I have to actually reassess, you know, the way I work, no. I mean, production problems can actually happen, but, I mean, production problems can happen everywhere. I mean, uh, look at the one that happened with Alec Baldwin, like, I mean, recently, yeah. yeah. Like, so it can happen. But, like, in terms of, like, um, for me as a director, no, um, I always prefer. So, and because imagine that you're always working with celebrities. So I've been working with celebrities since that time and up to now. And I've never had any problems uh, with any form with any celebrity. Um, I mean, they always respect I mean, what I do. There's no one that has ever disrespected me. Okay. And, and that for me is like, I mean, how I go on set, yes. Because yeah. um, the way you do with it is very important, right? Like, uh, and if they are stars, you have to make them feel that they are stars. Like, there's this, and there's no reason why, to, there's no reason to do any sort of like I mean, power play. Because you always just want people to just like help you interpret your idea and yeah. move on to editors. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay, so um you know you you work with Sunday Adelaide on Confucian Nawa and then years later when you are doing the Lost Cafe, you also worked with her. Mm -hmm. Um what is it that kind of always um makes filmmakers or directors want to work with certain actors over and over again? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, again, like as I said, like coming from a real cinema background, um, I've seen how uh, maybe Tarantino will work with Omataman or how Martin Scorsese will work with uh, Robert De Niro at the time, right? Yeah. And so for me, and and there's this whole thing where they always say you need to always just like find the right person for your project. Yeah. Now. I've worked with Tunde, Tunde Aladishe um, as a writer. We worked on uh, on the we worked on the program called The Station. It was a writing gig for a European Union um, uh, TV series on conflict resolution. Yeah. And so, um, talking with Tunde and then looking at her, I told her that like she really fits the profile of like I mean a character that um, we were developing because that was when we we're developing Confusion now, and so. Um, years later, when I was about to make, I mean, years later, I saw Tunde on a stage play. She wrote uh, V Monologues. Yeah. And as one of the writers, the director said, oh, yeah, why don't you just like play one of the roles? And I saw her on stage. And she was with Bimbo Akintola, great, like Bimbo Akintola, you know, and um, Omoni and a lot of other, I mean, actors. And she was, she really stood out. She was really beautiful in it, right? And so it actually reinforced my belief that I wasn't wrong when I said I was actually going to use that for my project because, of course, nobody knows she was just a writer. Yeah. And so when Confucian came, I called her and said, okay, yes, I mean, there's a role that I want you to play. And because I also wanted an actress that looks beautiful, like she's slender, she has this particular look because most Nollywood actors at the time, if, you're, if you go back 2010, they almost all look the same. And most of them are older on screen. Yeah. Right, and you just wanted somebody that's like looks young and and I'm almost like naive basically, and so yeah, she actually fit it. And when it came to the Lost Cafe, it was the same thing, right? And the thing with Tunde is that she's very intelligent, and and it was very difficult to have actors that are really at that level. I mean, young people that are really at that level, because for you to understand the character, you need to actually read. 
So she's a big reader because she actually studied English and she reads a lot. Yeah. So when you tell her something, she can actually research on it. And it was not very common at that time that people would just like research on characters and all of that. So with the Lost Cafe, it was the same thing. Like she just fit it. And, and it was almost like perfect because she went on after confession now to study in, in Germany. And she studied in Germany. And of course, Germany is a very lonely country, like I mean, in some, in some parts. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so putting in a Scandinavian country, she would totally understand, like, I mean, how a lonely white um, black girl will feel in a white country. Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, you guys shot um, The Lost Cafe in Nigeria and also in Norway. How was it handling like a cross country production? It was cool. Um, it's it's basically because my producer lives in Norway, and of course, like I mean, she lives in Nigeria and Norway. She's from Calabar. It was really easy to just under, to to organize some of the logistics. I think like one of the uh, things that we had with log a logistical problem that we had was that when we wanted Angino lens, yeah, and they were going to give it. To for free but in Norway it is very different because the customs are I mean they are really really tight I mean they are when it comes to when it comes to like checking products and what comes in, what comes into the country yeah they always uh, well I mean they take take it serious basically and we didn't have five thousand euros to pay I mean for the lenses and so and you know how to help us like sort out the the custom clearance again oh. so for me yeah it was the but but being in Norway, um, the difference for me is this, right? The camera that we got in Nigeria, we had to rent it. We had to look for this. We had to look for that, right? But in Norway, there's actually a particular company that has equipment just for young people to come and access for free to nice. make films. Nice. Yes. And, yes. And that was actually what happened over there. And it is, for me, what like, we, we've been clamoring for in Nigeria because we don't even have any form of like co-production treaty with another country to make a film that you will say that um, you can access money at, I mean, at federal level. Yeah. So, yeah, so the things that I actually saw, like, it was way easier to shoot in Europe, right, than it was to shoot in Nigeria. Yeah. Okay, so, like, do you think, is, is there, like, a... Um... I don't know, a way of kind of making our voices heard because, I mean, several countries have these treaties. There are always tax rebates when you shoot in countries and, you know, um, it definitely helps get, you know, the job done. Do you think like for, for um, you know, individual filmmakers or groups of filmmakers, is there anything you think they can do that might get us closer to these co-production treaties? Well, um, for years we've been talking about it. Um, we've always been talking about it, and I think like we're almost even tired of talking about it. I remember in 2017 I was a speaker at the Bolatinibu Colloquium, which will have the biggest, I mean, policy uh, makers in Nigeria, yeah. right? Because it's the better of uh, Bolatinibu, and of course, like the vice president was there. A lot of people. But everybody, I mean, people were there. And I was actually trying to make a case for the National Endowment Fund for Arts. And I said that I make my film, but I have to always go to Europe to go and look for funding, which, like, it's an irony because I'm making a Nigerian film with European money, right? Yeah. Because there's actually no agency that you could say that will give you some form of funding here. And and then the funding from Europe will always be in a form of grants because if they, because there's no 
Because like there's either you have majority producer or minority producer, right? Yeah. And most times Europe, Europe is a majority producer when you actually get money from there. But then there's not even money from like a an institution that you can actually have. And so even when you come to film, you're not even going to talk about tax rebates and stuff like that because they don't even really understand understand it. Um, we've been talking about even okay, can we even do like some sort of like film commission? No. Um, people have really been hammering on this. A lot of like veteran filmmakers have been hammering on this thing, but it's almost like it is not really happening. The closest was with the French when they came. And so we're with the French embassy and we're having conversations, but there were still problems in, politically with between the National Film Institute, uh, sorry, the Nigerian Film Corporation and the National Film and Video Censors Board. Yeah. You know, because like, Everybody wants to be, it's my agency that is supposed to lead this, or it's my agency that is supposed to lead that. But the thing is that they don't really understand that they need to unify in order to just like fight for a common goal. But no. So, no, we've been having these challenges, I'm telling you. And and I think like the last one, even trying to access Norwegian money, because like they have almost like 70 million euros, I think, in a year for grants. But imagine if we could actually like, I mean, access some of it. But like, we can't. So it's always about private funding. And yeah, I, I don't know what to do anymore. Yeah? So I guess it will happen because I heard that very soon there's going to be a signing between Nigeria and France. But yeah, it's it's all, yeah, we need to just keep our fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully it happens very soon. Yeah. Okay, so um, Oluturi, what was your process in preparing, you know, to work on that project? taking in mind like you know being true to the material like how did you approach it for me i was i was working on a project called um el dorado road oh, okay and the project was at the 2016 waga film lab because i applied and i got into waga film lab and it was the first lab in africa for yeah. people to develop their projects and basically it is a project that is around migration about the road to hell. So the road to hell for me is a desert, right? All the way to North Africa. Yeah. And so I was developing that project and I won the pitching competition. Um, so I won the Yave Prize because I won the pitching competition. And so I went to for a one-year program in, in, in 2017 at the Yave Producers Workshop. So yeah. it was in Luxembourg, Holland, and, and Denmark. And we were tool on how to package our projects and we did a lot of development in terms of writing. I was there with my writer, um, Tom Rollins Race. And so when when you are actually developing your project, you get to do a lot of research. Now um in twenty eighteen, Everton Life got in touch with me that um, they are working on a story. Yeah. And so they told me, Oh, it's uh, it's on sex trafficking and I said, Okay. So when I read it, I told them, so I had to do like a full disclosure. I told them, okay, so guys, I'm actually working on another um, trafficking story as well, right? Just so that they know, because yeah. you, you need to always be open about this. And so, yeah, um, I read the script for Olotere for, uh, yeah, then it was called On The Verge. I really loved it. And then um, we had to change the title to, I mean, Olotere. And so, yeah, we made the film, but already as i said i was developing a project about trafficking so i had already done a lot of research which was what actually drew me close to the material right. so for me it was like okay what happened before they get on the road to hell basically which is actually where um a lot of ends yeah okay i mean the, the film did really well netflix picked it up and um 
I mean, a, a dream of a filmmaker is for it people. It was actually fantastic. It didn't really do pretty well. It was like an absolutely fantastic because, like, I mean, it was the first time that Nigerian film was actually entering, like, I mean, a, a top ten of Netflix, yeah. right? The yeah. first time, and yes, like, um, when we actually had a review with Netflix, like, I mean, we had like, I mean, sixty percent completion rate, and they told us the number that Olotere has hit and right now like I mean it is still the most watched Nigerian film on Netflix so no it didn't do pretty well it was actually fantastic yeah. and actually brought in a lot of conversations like I mean around trafficking and people and there's still like I mean programs that are actually happening right now in Nigeria as a result of that film so yeah like I mean it was it was pretty big for for Nigeria yeah okay so you know talking about you know trafficking um you know, you've worked with like a lot of NGOs, you know, social issues. And this auditory, um is also like the theme, which is um, human trafficking. It's also um, like a social issue. I mean, you know, the question I asked you earlier, um, I don't know. I think um, there's this there's this trend, like I, I feel um, possibly like one of the things you are always drawn to is, you know, these... Um, human you know stories that um revolve around some of these social issues so yeah yeah I mean, it's just something i, I yeah so, i notice yeah. so okay so i'm actually glad that you're actually cracking it yourself right yeah <laughs> so but yeah but but um on a serious note um i grew up in jails and um I've, because like you're so you're very close to people and when people suffer you will actually see it like when people are happy you will actually see it right yeah and so for me generally i'm really drawn to to very personal stories uh. things i can actually relate i mean to so like right now i'm working on a on a blockbuster project that um that i've been developing for like four years it was mm. even announced in 2019 uh, with um, RMD, okay. but and still, even though it is supposed to be an escape uh, film for like escapism, yeah. I am still drawn to to things that really appeal that that really caught me when I was a kid, you know. So I'm really like, I mean, for me, it's always about that because it is, it, and in, and I think it is what uh, Martin Scorsese was trying to say about Marvel films when he got criticized that. Um, there's this whole disconnect now with like films because you don't really get to be drawn into the characters. It is always just about like, I mean, the effects and the effects and the effects. But for me, like, I really like to deal with like, I mean, human issues and in whatever um, situation. And, and, then, and then like, even, I mean, how to even treat, treat them because there's a, there's a thing that I want to explore in our culture that has to do, it's called Jutele, I think. And, you know, it's like this thing where um, a bride can actually be kidnapped, that kind of thing, right? Like, uh. so I'm dealing with it, like, I mean, in a huge commercial film, but like, you see, like, I mean, there's an issue there that I'm, that, that I'm trying to just, like, I mean, um, address. So, yes, I'm really drawn to this sort of stories. And I've always worked with NGOs because NGOs, for me, they make you understand what the human being, a human being is going through more. Yeah. And I've worked in like literature and I've worked in like uh, crisis management because even at the time that um, Boko Haram was still in Goza, around Goza, mm. I was in Goza 
and talking to IDPs and all of that. So I've been to really extreme places because one thing that it actually does to you is that it takes you very close. So I now understand, like, I mean, the problems that maybe young people face in, in politics, the problem that women face in politics, I understand, like, I mean, the nutrition problems of the North, like, so it gives you that whole broad overview that that helps you to even more, like, I mean, your stories and your characters as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you worked on Castle and Castle the first season. Um, how did you approach it? I'm sure you are aware that, you know, you are building this world, setting the tone for what could be like a multi-season um, TV show. Um, how important was it that um, you, you do it right in that first season? What were the things that went through your mind approaching the project? Um, so when I... Working on Castle and Castle, I think like I mean the only thing that I added was um, try to do some research and and try to see that the cases are authentic, right? But it is largely a TV show, and TV shows are actually run by producers, and the producers um, have to really think about what they want to do with the show, or if they have the ambition of the show continuing and all of that. Yeah. And so, um, and Mo Abudu is very, very good with things like that. So, um, Mo, Heidi, um, Temidayo, they actually basically just like try to just give the show a rope mark because we're three directors and I directed the last block yeah. of the of the series. But um, but 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 I think like um, for me when I was actually coming, I just thought about um, shows and and how I would always want some sort of movement like with my characters or with the camera because I just want it to be a bit boring, and we need to just like I mean really show up the the the, the whole um, production design of the place. So that is basically how I approached it. Okay, and um, I mean from. You know, your education spans from University of Ibadan to NFI to USC and then Unijus where you got a master's in film and TV, which you kind of um, completed last year. So like um, what, you know, you've, you've had a very busy um, film career. Um, what was this extra thing you were looking for um, with the master's? No, um... Um, for me, I always say that it's just good to just keep learning, right? Yeah. And 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 what you can actually just get sometimes like, when you go back to school is that there's definitely going to be a moment for you to just like I mean, sit back and just read and learn about other things because you can never actually stop learning. There are a lot of like I mean, there's an ocean of like I mean, books, written journals out there. Yeah. So yeah, no. Um, the, the the masters for me it was just to. To just like relax and just um, in, in, improve on my on my learning and try to just know that I'm mean, just know other things. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, what would you say is one um, rewatchable like rewatchable film? So, like you can watch it multiple times. What's that one film for you? It's a very hard question. Yeah, because I've never thought about like one rewatchable film. Yeah. Yeah, but like um you could always just see maybe um Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. It yeah, because it's like for the sort of story and the sort of scale and for the stunning cinematography, I think like I mean you could just like I mean just play it even without the sound and it will just be like a mini photo play on your screen. 
Yeah. So what are you working on right now? Can you talk about it? Yeah, I'm I'm working on a, I'm working on a project that is set in nineteen thirties. Um, just at the, at the height of tin mining. And already I have, um, I've been talking with a lot of like platforms, but I have actors like um, um, RMD, Ramsey Noah, uh, Bovi, and a couple of like, I mean, other stars on this already. So yeah, um, hopefully it is what I would love to film in, 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 in 2022. So I'm just, I'm just going back like, so this is like since the Lost Cafe, I'm really going back to making another very personal film. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, fingers crossed. Hopefully, um, you get to achieve that in 2022. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, what's one thing that you think um, the Nigerian film industry needs to improve? Like, in what, in what way? That one thing that is of, like... I think, like... Um, I think I think Nigerian films can actually uh, make do with with the fact that we need to start shooting on a very big scale. Um, the budgets for the films have really increased. Yeah. Um, but I think almost it's almost like I mean the scale of the films are almost the same. So it's almost like from room to parlor to garden that kind of thing and to office, you know. And even at that, like people are always just filming in natural environments. Nobody's thinking about real production design. So there's no any aesthetic that's actually added for the viewer to, to be like, oh, oh my God. Like the world that the Christopher Nolan will actually like I mean, create, for instance. You know, like so we need to actually think about like I mean, moving towards filming with a big a, a lot of scale because even the Korean the South Korean um movies and series that's people are now falling in love with it. It's because they actually really should stay in, like, I mean, uh, on a huge scale. I yeah. think, like, Squid Games was filmed like, $12 million, and you've had Nigerian films that have been made, like, with 9 or $10 million. Hmm. So, I mean, so just just, just, just look at it. Like, the gap in terms of, like, I mean, money is not much. So we need to just... But the scale is, like, really different. Yeah. Thanks, Kenneth, for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Good. And thank you for having me, yeah. Okay, and how can people keep up with your work? Do you have social media? Yeah, my social media is just at Kenneth Yang. At Kenneth Yang. That's all. It's the same for Instagram. It's the same for Twitter. And yeah, um, of course, like our production company, Cinema Quarter Quarter, is online as well. So yeah. We have come to the end of this episode. Remember to rate and review the podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Selegal Film and the podcast at the Niger Film Pod to share your feedback. You can now support the podcast by visiting the website to donate. See you on the next episode. Have a good one.